Clay, as we move into the next episode of Star Trek Voyager, which is Dreadnought, I have to ask, it's sure lucky that the uh, DS9 crew never had to deal with these things in the Cardassian Dominion War because it seems like it might have been a problem uh, if they had actually run up against this Cardassian super weapon that can destroy planets and everything in its path. Uh, if they had run into it once, it might have been a big deal. But luckily, the only one they've got got sent off 75,000 light years away. Never to deal with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's uh, surprise nobody brought that up. <laughs> what happened to our penis ship? Where is it? Yeah, uh, we only built one of them, and I don't know what happened. It's gone. <laughs> another really, show, that's another kind of a... It's kind of a a lot of weaponry just to lose there. Like, well, yeah, you know. Yeah. Cost of doing business. War's going well, all things considered. This is early yeah. in the Dominion War, obviously. So things are things are looking on the up and up. Goldukat is sitting in Cisco's office with his baseball. Everything's going well, but we'll see. Maybe they don't need the dreadnought. This is Dreadnought. It's the 17th episode of season two. We're going through these at a decent pace, it seems like. We're yeah. already up to number 17. First aired on February 12th, 1996, written by Gary Holland, directed by LeVar Burton in Universe State 49447.0, which is 2372. In Dreadnought, Voyager encounters Dreadnought, a Cardassian missile that B'Elanna Torres reprogrammed during her time in the Maquis. Even though lost in the Delta Quadrant, the missile still believes it's on a Maquis mission in the Alpha Quadrant, setting an intercept course with an inhabited world. It's the second of at least two episodes where Belana Torres becomes obsessed with some kind of technology and tries to tries to fix it and make it make it better. And it says, mm-hmm. "No, I'm going to be a war machine instead." Uh, it's another Belana Torres episode. Um, I guess uh, I, I think my 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 general takeaway from this one is uh, I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. It's an episode that requires a tremendous amount of buy-in on the viewer's yeah. part. Uh, it, it felt like it, it was sort of satisfying and unsatisfying at the same time. It's one of these things that's like every every trick that happened felt like the writer just pulled it out of their ass as a way to get out of a right. problem that they had. Right. And it just, yeah, it just adds up to a point where you're just like, all right, none of this really is really amounting to anything, but we'll see how it ends. What do you think? Yeah, I uh, I liked it. Um, I felt like they had a, a little bit more thematically, uh, subtextually going on than they really wanted to get into, like with uh, Balana making her own voice, the voice of the weapon and stuff. Yeah, her and past voice, deal. her young voice, dealing with her young yeah. decisions. Yep. Yeah, and like, you know, the idea of the consequences of, of your actions in, yep. in wartime or the cost of war and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they didn't really get into that no it's a, um, it's a good idea for an episode and they kind of artfully avoid it without completely avoiding it you know what i mean like they just don't get into it yeah what <laughs> i kind of i kind of wish that this was like it, after this episode came out there was an internal franchise-wide memo that was like okay we can't do ticking clock stories anymore Mm -hmm. because this is just like the (laughs) the biggest ticking it's got everything you could possibly not only does it have the ticking clock of the weapon itself but on top of that they also throw in the ticking clock of the self-destruction of voyager yeah yeah so it's like (laughs) every possible variation of there was a bomb about to go off and we have x amount of time before it goes off is in this episode yeah 
Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, Why can you walk around inside the missile? Great, great question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know why that missile needs a living room. (laughs) Pretty spacious, too. I mean, where I am. Yeah, that probably goes for like five hundred thousand dollars. It's got a bathroom. It's got, it's got a bathroom. It's got multi. It's got multiple sections. You can go into the doors. You can go into the little two. It's got life support inside it for an unmanned yeah. star- spaceship. Like it's a missile. It's not supposed yeah. to be manned, but it has yeah. life support in it. it. That that's the that's the thing that I found a little bit distracting about it. Is it's just this like. Like even it's set up. It's like this missile got caught up in the caretaker thing that brought Voyager. Yeah. And yeah. it just shot off on its own course. And Voyager has somehow found it. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. they were going in the same direction. And then Bolana also is the one who reprogrammed the thing in the first place. Yeah. It's it's a lot of coincidences stacked up on each other. And even though I I agree with you that I really like the Bolana, like this is kind of an atoning for mistakes of our past stuff she doesn't it it turns instead of any kind of introspective thing it turns into a minor version of kirk sabotaging the computer by out logicking it you know where she's like trying to trick the computer but the computer is a very crafty computer and it's like i knew you were going to do that balana torres so that's why i did this and so it leads to this i don't know if you want to call it like a cat and mouse thing but it's this um endless chasing something that disappears down a hole only to appear somewhere else and then they chase that out of the different out of the other hole that the thing it's like it's just extremely all over the place in terms of um any kind of like consistent problem that you have on the small scale i I found it a little bit frustrating yeah it's um you're you're essentially working with this uh program self-aware program that really doesn't have any limitations to what it can do yeah except that it can't be it can't realize the truth you know it's frustrating yeah yeah (laughs) well actually my (laughs) my favorite my favorite part of the episode is when it's it's like towards the end and it's talking about how uh uh balana um is is uh she's an adherent to the Delta Quadrant deception. And I was like, oh, tell me your thoughts on January 6th. (laughs) (laughs) But Dreadnought has been reading a lot of blogs about where exactly it is uh, in space. Yeah. Yeah. The the dialogue between them is funny where she's like, she's like, Dreadnought, why don't you play a game with me? And it's like, okay. And she's like, take for example the fact that we're over here and it's like i'm not going to play that game she's like dread now you have to play the game and it's 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 just a strange it's it's a weird setup like i'm surprised that they didn't get into more of the like the the subtextual stuff only because you this this episode is belana torres talking and sparring with like what seems to be one of the greatest computer programs ever put together yeah that she like as far as capability and 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 uh maneuverability and and ability to uh to think and adjust and it's got her voice so like the implication here is kind of like it's a it's torres fighting herself and sparring with herself and her own the cost of her own ingenuity and all they do is just kind of like use it to kind of dick around for a bit yeah and be like you know you're in the delta quadrant i think not no you are Nuh-uh. it's like okay 
You'd think it would have to be more of a personal attempt to persuade this thing that it's making the wrong decision to do stuff, you know, mm-hmm. because it's it's supposed to be Bolana convincing herself of her past mistakes. It's the 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 issue is that their their disagreement is mostly a technical thing about it doesn't believe her really, and right. so it's going to put all these roadblocks. I, I just feel it would be more. It's more thematic and character interesting if it's like Bolana has to actually convince this thing that what it's doing is the wrong thing to do. You know that that would that would maybe create more of a problem where the missile becomes basically like a data starship, you know, where you can reason with it and stuff like that. But if you're not going to do that, I don't I don't know. It's not for an episode where she has to spend so much of her time alone talking to herself. It has to be more interesting than just a computer program looking for deceptive outcomes that it can pull on people or not be pulled and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know if that's super clear. It just, it doesn't strike me as um, the personal story that it probably should have been. If all you're going to do is have Bolana talk to herself. Yeah. I, the, the time, the part where I kind of like my eyebrow went up the first time as to what they were trying to pull is after the initial thing, when, uh, when she thinks she shut it down and then it just powers back and <laughs> <just> flies off. <laughs> and she goes like, I thought I shut down your stuff. It's like, yes, you did think that, but I fooled you. I lied to you. You stupid, stupid person. <laughs> it needs the uh, Omega virus board game voice. It's like 25 <laughs> minutes till I fly off. Ha, ha, ha. We're, that, we're that receiving it when it flew away. Yeah, it's funny. We're receiving a broadcast, broadcast from the missile. Let's hear it. Psych! <laughs> it's just the, uh, yeah, just like insert meme gif here or something like that about how this thing is treating Bolana. Yeah, I, I um, it, it's it's funny because I actually like the 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 bones of it. I, I think it's actually kind yeah. of a if you can get past all of the contrivances that allow you to get to this point, it's kind of a neat idea to have Voyager chasing this missile that's going after one planet and it's obliterating everything on its path and stuff like that it's uh it's it's kind of fun there's something interesting and then you know building a relationship with a species that they believe that what the Kazon tell them apparently on, on their facebook posts about what the Man. voyager is doing yeah everybody's just getting some bad intel on voyager from the k like what what how big is the message board group i know the Kazon is is putting all this this uh, bullshit on. Why did they believe them so much? <clears throat> yeah, great question. Uh, it's, yeah. it's so. I, I guess maybe a broader way to go into this one is. Um, I was also struck in this episode by Voyager's serialization attempts. I find it really weird what they do in this show. Like um, strange, uh, weird choices for sure. So they're serialized. There are multiple serialized plots that the show almost treats as if they are unimportant, non-continuous, like one-off scenes in these episodes. So, for example, the Wildman pregnancy has been going for a while, right? It never feels yep. like it's going to amount to anything. It just It's just this woman who has random conversations with the doctor about being pregnant. They have this treacherous crewman who's talking to the Kazon, which has been in like 15 episodes, it feels like, and they've never developed it to anything, you know? 
Yeah, I thought I honestly thought when the thing kicked back up after Bilana, after Bellana left the first time, I thought it was going to be that that dude had like triggered it somehow. Yeah, had had transported himself onto it or something and was stealing it or something. There, there's that. There's the this one has a continuation from last episode where Paris and Chakotay are still at each other's throats. Interestingly, yeah, yes. What what is for, up with for the something? Yeah, something's going on with Paris where he's just like drinking and fucking all night. Yeah. And not, getting, not getting to work. I don't know. Yeah, that stuff was weird. Like it's it's uh What's at what's least the, show the other doing two with serialization? Yeah, I didn't mean to I interrupt, but like what it, what is what is it trying to do? I'm not sure. I was going to just going to say at least the other two stories have some sort of precedence for them whereas the Paris and Chicote one just is like like the the woman having a baby, okay, well, sure, it's the it's a woman having a baby in a very unusual circumstance. I can understand why you might want to check in on that from time to time. Yeah, uh, the guy who's uh, the traitor, that's pretty gnarly stuff he's doing. I can understand why you'd want to check in on that that from time to time. In mm-hmm. both of these situations, we know the how and the why of of why they keep going back to this. Unless I missed something, I have no idea what the catalyst for the the Paris stuff is, and I'm sure that's part of the point. But it's just it feels so weird, yeah. Because it's it's just sort of one or two minutes of him getting uh, uh, chastised per episode with no real repercussion past that. Yeah. Until I'm sure, you know, the episode where Janeway has to go to. Uh, Les Chez Fuck, or whatever the name of the place is. <laughs> and bring him, him back. <laughs> bring him back from his bender he's been going. Can you go on a holodeck bender? <laughs> now with the rations that they're giving out for their holodeck usage, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, he's to me it felt a direct continuation off of whatever episode that was the last time where he was taking bets in the Chez Fook and yeah, like Chakotay yeah. yelled at him and it ended with the, just them being angry at each other and this felt like a, a, a feed from that into this but as you're saying i don't know where it's coming from and what makes it similar to the other attempts at serialization is that none of the scenes feel like they develop their story at all right it just feels yeah. like it's treading water until like you know that wildman is pregnant you know that this guy is talking to the Kazon. I find the Kazon one the most egregious because it it seems like it's supposed to be hinting at something big, but he never tells them anything of note or like there's no impact to anything that he tells them. (laughs) Yeah, if I wish they would do one where the Kazon guy is just kind of like more annoyed that this guy keeps calling. Is there Where, someone over there who's actually on the bridge that we can talk to? This is. I mean, it's it's like it ends up sounding like he's talking to a five-year-old who's trying to explain to you the episode of Thomas the Train Engine he just watched. I mean, the height of his the height of his drama is he's like, I need to talk to Seska. And the guy's like, I'm not going to let you do that. He's like, I really need to talk to Seska. And the guy's like, you can talk to me instead. And I don't know. I, it, I think it it's does, real bad. I, I think it's real bad serialization. It it. It reminds me strongly of Enterprise serialization, where it's mm. just a, it's just a thing that happens over and over again, and it doesn't build. It's not even even DS Nine did it 
like a world building type of serialized story better than this. Like just it made it, it, it felt consistent. And every time you saw a character, it was not literally the same thing happening over and over yeah. again. Well, you know, I don't want to give uh, or, or not give the benefit of the doubt to the writers, but it kind of has that stink about it uh, of something that they don't know what the ending is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, we've got this idea. We're kind of rolling with it. And it's like, okay, this will build to something eventually. We don't really know what that is yet, but we were just throwing it in there to kind of spice things up a bit as we're as we're going along, which is t- which is fine. But like it, it, those things tend to feel a lot more meandering if you don't know exactly what not not necessarily where, but what your endpoint is. Yeah, I mean it. It, it comes down to the Kazon chasing them is just the Kazon chasing them. There's nothing. There's right, nothing right. larger than that. Like Kaz, the Kazon want Voyager's technology, but there is no, there is no Mage Color narrative drive to anything that he's doing beyond getting technology from them. There's nothing interesting that you can check in and, and see what he's up to or what is what he's plotting because this is happening. Yeah. It feels really enterprisey. Uh, they yeah. just—they apparently just never really understood how they needed to do this in terms of plotting. It's Voyagers is um, particularly egregious. Maybe it's even worse than Enterprises in the fact that if if you, it's almost possible to not even realize that there seems to be a season-long story going on in the background. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, I think the Kazon are supposed to be a season spine to the narrative, and it never right, feels right, that right. way. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny cuz I actually think oddly enough the 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 Paris one I bet that's something that they do have the endpoint figured out. Mm-hmm. Like that that's that seems like something where they're like, okay, we've got this disaffected Paris that who has having some sort of crisis that we need to get to. How do we get there? The other ones not so much. Like outside of yeah, eventually Like I don't know cuz like the the Seska one, the the traitor one I feel like that could either build to something exciting or they could kind of hit the eject button and one episode he just gets like phasered to death or something. You yeah, know? yeah. Like it's I feel like you can pull the plug on that fairly easily and have it be not feel like a total waste of time. <laughs> um, I don't know yeah. what's gonna go on. I don't know what's gonna happen with the the pregnancy one. That one seems that one's like strange. It that see, but that's the, I actually I think I mind that one the least. Because that one at least feels like world building and it does. Just it's the first like, baby born on this journey yeah, back home. Yeah, yeah. just day to day life. You get into the the name thing, which is fun. Yep. Where the doctor is basically like, <laughs> he does, he's like, well, I wanted to name my kid Seven, and, and the other person, you know, <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> um. You know that that stuff is fun, like, and that furthers along the doctor's thing about finding a name a little bit, which you know is nice to t- touch back in on that. Yeah, because uh, you know nobody's asked him about it because nobody gives a shit. Yep. Um, but yeah, the yeah, it, it's it's odd. I like I I don't hate the idea, frankly, of what they're doing. I just don't know if they are, um doing it in a in a way that feels like they know where they're going necessarily yeah because it is it is kind of it is an interesting way to handle the split between episodic and uh uh 
serialized by just keeping the episodes episodic and then having these little tiny serialized bits going through. Right. Even which is even different than the the way that they kind of do it that we've talked about before, where it's like, oh, you've got the one overarching thing that they touch back in on over the season. This is like a lot smaller than that. Yep. Which I don't hate the idea, but um, it seems I do think you're yeah kind of. I was just gonna say I do think you you are in a little bit of danger of 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 losing the road a little bit if you're doing that. To me, it feels like they're veering too close. Like I I think that the closest point of comparison is the Zindi arc and Enterprise, right? Sure. Where I at least felt like I knew that there was a Zindi arc as that season was happening, right? Like it's yeah, they're fairly overt about what they're doing. However, you can still kind of catch an episode or miss an episode and it didn't really affect things that drastically until you got to the end of the season where they had sort of a couple episodes in a row that tied everything up. The Voyager attempt feels to me that they are absolutely terrified that they cannot include any change event in those storylines because if a person misses the episode, they'll be confused as to what happens in the next one. Mm, Yeah. And so it feels like a lot of just repeating the trope with a character, which is okay in some sense of like the, I agree, like the Wildman baby feels appropriate in some ways. The Kazon one feels less appropriate and the Paris one just feels kind of out of left field as to why it's, why it's happening that way. I, I just, I don't think that I think Voyage's weaknesses with it is that they could probably embrace it a little more strongly, even like just, just maybe have, <laughs> It, the, the, it never feels like Voyager is talking about the Kazon threat until the Kazon appear. You know, it's it, there's right, never this yeah, looming yeah. presence of bad things are happening. How are we going to talk about it? What the hell is going wrong with Paris and stuff like that? It all feels like it just it pops up and makes an appearance and then goes away and no one ever thinks about it outside of the times that they're actively having an episode about it. Yeah. Like even in this one when they're talking to that the chancellor whose name was Kevin, I think. Yeah, there's something like that. I can look him up. He's down here somewhere. Uh, <laughs> when he's like, "We've heard, we've heard about about what you're doing," and and even then, Jane was like, "Have you been talking to the? Don't listen to Kazon, bunch of idiots." You yeah. know, like it's even still, even though they've been this foil for them, it's they're very dismissive of the Kazon. So it's not. It doesn't even really like. It's not that interesting. No, his name is Kellen. Kellen. Ah. Good Irish name. Um, just look and see if there's anything. Who's oh, Lorem is the guy that he was talking to. Yeah, it's. Uh, I thought it was just kind of just fine and dandy. I was I was noticing that uh, there's someone keeping track of the photon torpedo count that the ship has done. <laughs> and um, let me see. Photon torpedo. So Voyager uses seven photon torpedoes in this episode. Having previously used one in alliance, alliances, this brings the total number of torpedoes used to 11, of which the irreplaceable complement of 38 was established in the cloud. So they've used quite a bit of their torpedoes to this point. <clears throat> we'll see if that comes back to, if comes back to haunt them down the line. Uh, anything else about this one? What's, um, do you like Torres-centric episodes? I like this one, yeah. I mean, I th- I thought it was pretty good. Um, As a Torres piece? Her yeah. other one was Prototype, I guess, the robot man. 
Yeah, it's better than that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, is, it is better than that well, one. Well, it's, it's interesting, though, because it is kind of, of a piece with that one to a certain extent. Same idea, yeah. Yeah, because it's, uh, well, I mean. The this war one machine. She's trying to fix a war machine, basically, you know? Yeah, but it doesn't have that, like, playing God aspect of it that the other one kind of did. It's less Frankenstein-y. It's but. true. It's more, it's more personal, less um, what have you wrought upon us type thing. Yeah, yeah this, this one is more about fi- fixing a war machine. The last one was more about fixing uh, like fostering a uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for um uh helping like a a group of people survive which then turned out to be a war machine so I don't know <laughs> if she was completely aware at the time she was helping but yeah yeah but yeah it's it's an interesting choice for her um i don't know where i stand on her as a character i don't know if i yeah. like her that much i think there. Uh, I think the problem with her is kind of built into this episode a bit where I think there's a lot you can do, but they're not really getting into much of it because she does have kind of a, she does have a certain um, confidence that borders on like cockiness to her Yeah, about what she, she knows and what she can do. And I think this episode would have been a good place to push back on that where if you and your cold open lean into her being kind of a prick about setting the clock on the coffee machine or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get into this stuff where she now has to face off with someone who is equally as cocky as her because she designed it and after her own person. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that she's... Um, I there, there might not be as much meat on the maquis bone at this point that they can return to without it feeling sort of uh ethereal or something like i yeah i I just don't whenever the characters have the maquis plot it now feels that they are so divorced from that background and that setup that it no longer registers as like a legitimate concern (laughs) that they should have anymore right right i don't know it's tough because the maquis weren't particularly well developed and it's not like the crew has always had this splintering personality or like uh, competing alliances between the crew and Starfleet. So it's, it's hard to take her concerns seriously or to really feel that she as a character has changed because I've only ever seen this Bolana in my history with the show. So right. Seeing a previous version of her where she programmed this war machine to go blow up a planet. It just feels it relies a lot on just the exposition of explaining I was different back then. Now I feel differently and it's not as, it's not as interesting, unfortunately. Mm, yeah. Dreadnoughts. All right. I guess that's it. We'll go to patron thoughts. Did we have the dreadnought conversation at the end of the last one where it was offline? Up, yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it's, it, it's a strange word that I only know. I, so I know it from three places, which I guess are all legitimate places but are all very incongruous places. One, the first one that I know it from is, I believe it is the name of uh, a group of villains in G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, two is the classic design of the acoustic guitar, as known as a dreadnought design. Mm-hmm. And then it is also a style of ship, which I believe is the original, where it originally comes from. Uh, never in a million years would I have looked at those three options and go, yeah, that word works. <laughs> it's a cool sounding word though. I understand it is, why it is like an, it. it sounds, I always thought it was biblical. It sounds biblical to me, like the dreadnought 
will come or something. It's like a, it's like a, you know, a, <laughs> it, does, it sounds kind of like a mythical creature. Well, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's very similar to Juggernaut too. I guess that's true. Yeah. So it, it is. Um, is the ju- Juggernaut is not biblical, right? No. What is, no. Ju- what is the Juggernaut from? I don't know. I know he's from X Men. X Men. Yeah, but yeah. this was who is the original? Ju- who is the original Juggernaut? Is it God? Uh, no, I want to say I think it might be like a Greek myth thing. Oh, that makes sense. Because I believe it's. I, uh, uh, Let's see. Juggernaut. A juggernaut is a literal or metaphorical force regarded as merciless, destructive, unstoppable. It originated in the mid 19th century and was adapted from Sanskrit. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. Sure. So it's actually fairly recent. It's a fairly recent word, I guess. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, I um I think one of the patrons is gonna mention that it's also a name for a kind of jacket. So there might be another a one. Jacket? Yeah, another another use of the word dreadnought. But no, I was I was way off. I guess the this one's based on the fact that it was a uh, as you were saying, it's a war, a warship style that was built in the early I gotta 20th say, century. Looking it up quickly. Dreadnought jackets, pretty cool looking jacket. So I can understand why they want to use the word. <laughs> Volana should have been wearing one. It's cold in that missile exposed to space. This, yeah. this missile is the same thing as the dis- US, uh, the Discovery in Discovery. How that has all that space in it for no particular reason. Mm-hmm. This missile has a hotel Ritz within it that you can just spend your days before it blows up. Yeah, I'm also. I I really hope they don't keep going back to the well of uh, this thing also got sucked through the yeah. wormhole because that's going to get old pretty quick. Like why? What, who? Why we? Why stop there? Why not just be like, oh look, John Luke Picard in the Enterprise. Yeah, John Luke Picard in the Enterprise. <laughs> They've been mentioning the Alpha Quadrant a lot, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, but it's I don't know. Again, I'll, I'll have final thoughts about it, but it is. Uh, Hopefully not. It's the, the amount of coincidence that, of what this ship runs into is kind of staggering at this point, and it flies in the face of what the concept is. Yeah, I for 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 how interesting the concept started off with. I, I just want them to go to a new system or something. Like the Kazon is just not really getting it done for me. And yep. like I, I like we've talked about, I don't know how big this system is. They've been flying through at fucking warp nine for ten months. Yep, for, <laughs> so. for over a year. It's a year at this point. She says a year in this this yeah. episode. The Kazon, yeah. just to um, just your mind, let your mind rest easy. The Kazon disappear after season two. So oh okay, they they do escape like, their clutches. I mean, if they've been if they've been going for a year, and let's assume they've been going fairly fast warp, yeah let's say just <laughs> they're cruising cruising speed warp five yeah that's that still means they've gone five times the distance of the speed five five times the speed of light no it's even it's even farther than that the the warp scale is supposed to be exponential so it's like oh. yeah like warp, warp five is not five times faster than warp one. Oh, i don't know how, i have no idea then yeah anyway, point being they're probably out of, in a different system by this point. They're, uh, yeah, I think I mentioned it on the podcast. Someone did the Star Trek math and determined that it would take two months at maximum warp to cross the entire Federation. So, oh yeah, okay. this, this is the Kazon are apparently five times the size of the Federation at this point. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, thanks guys. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show and the content, you can support the show at Patreon.com/slash/thePenskyFile. Patreon.com/slash/thePenskyFile. 
And as always, now we'll go to patron thoughts. If you leave a couple dollars at the Patreon, you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes and we read them and react to them. I'm going to open up your little chat thing here for Discord. I'll do the first one. It's a poem. Uh, Clef says, Dreadnought, Roxanne Dawson has two roles to play, Torres and a bomb she sent away. There's not much tension rising because the plot's not surprising. It's fine, but forgotten the next day. Three planets who inexplicably believe what the Kazons say about Voyager out of five. This next one's short. I'll read it too. Andrew Sherlock says, Dreadnought, the definition of a mid episode. It's fine, but not one I rush to rewatch. It also raises a ton of questions about the caretaker that are never answered. Three glitchy computers out of five. This one is Bob J. Quester, uh, a coaster, I suppose you pronounce his name. Bob's comment says, Dreadnought. Tora's episodes are few but really good. I love that dealing with her past actions means having to argue against her younger voice. Economical and fun, kind of old-fashioned Star Trek, and brings back Maquis issues. Not Marquis issues. Either way, <laughs> I think it works. Brings back Maquis issues much, uh, much as DS9's Blaze of Glory would a few months later. Hmm. Tex Bear says... So, I, w- I was just going to say, uh, I've been reading... I just started reading a new book uh, about... The French Resistance during yep. World War Two, and I didn't realize that's where Maquis comes from. Uh, that's 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 what they called themselves, and in, in, they referred to them in, in World War Two as the Maquis. I mean, because there's the Maquis de Sade too, right? Is it a title? No, I'm pretty sure it's the name of like the resistance fighters. Oh, okay. I'm just gonna look it up now, so I don't look like a total ass. Because it is the Maquis de Sade, right? It's the yes, yeah. Yeah, the Maquis uh, were a rural guerrilla band of French and Belgian resistance fighters. Yes. Okay. Called Maquis, Maquisards during the Nazi occupation of France. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's uh, it's almost an unclever reference to, to something else. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's, literally what, it's literally freedom fighters fighting against something. It's, it's one of those references that, with, that was probably a lot more clever before the internet existed. Yes, because you right. know, like you you run into these things sometimes where after a while you realize, oh, they just lifted that wholesale from a from Lord of the Rings or right. something. Yeah, like the uh, the X Men villain named Sauron. Oh, sure. <laughs> Which is this, there's only one other place in all of human history where you come across that word, <laughs> or in Phantasm where they literally do the uh, Gom Jabar sequence from Dune for some reason yeah. <laughs> in the middle of that movie. <laughs> Sometimes a good idea idea just needs to be done over. Yeah. Textile Bear says, Dreadnought, it's prototype again, but this time it's the Alpha Quadrant's problem. Still, not a bad idea for an episode, the one that drags a little, and constantly harking back to Alpha Quadrant stuff weakens the show premise more than it already has been weakened. Kyle Barrett has the next comment, which you can read. Dreadnought. There's stuff to admire about this episode, but to do so, you've got to just get past the ridiculous idea that the caretaker, who was searching for life forms to mate with, picked up a big inanimate missile, put it in the Delta Quadrant, and then Voyager headed in the exact same direction for a whole year to catch up with it just before it hit a target. Being generous towards the episode just because I like Bellana, there's a nice metaphor with the missile representing her old Maki self, her guilt and pain and destructive nature that she needs to tackle 
to truly move on. I just wish we had seen this character growth happen over the last two seasons to make it truly hit home. As it stands, it's a decent watch, even though it feels at times like I'm putting more effort into understanding the episode than the writers. Also, why bother carpeting the insides of a missile? <laughs> Carpet's the least of the problems, yeah. Three Tom Paris B-plots setting up, for, setting up oh, an upcoming go. episode out of five. Yeah, There you yeah. go. They're building to something with Tom Paris and his wild lifestyle. Why do, why, I, did I blink? Why did Chicote tell him he didn't come in dressed properly at the, the meeting? Uh, he came in late and his hair was all mussed up. Oh, it's his hair that he was commenting on? I think so. I don't think he, he looked like he was wearing the right unit. He just came in like not suited up fat. to the nines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I thought I'd missed something. I thought he came in with like his tunic untucked or something. Was tucking it in as he was coming in. I don't. I don't think so. Okay, just his hair. Just his hair. Eric McGowan says, "Dreadnought Bolana gets some really interesting episodes throughout the run of Voyager, but unfortunately, she sometimes gets saddled with pure techno babble plots like this. The also techno babble heavy Bolana episode prototype was a mere four episodes ago, and it didn't contain the illogical Alpha Quadrant connections. This is just too much of a rehash. Two out of five. Next one is point extra G. As I'm sending it to you, I'll let you know. Apparently, I was reading a memory alpha that uh, Roxanne Dawson, who plays Bolana, was complaining to the writers at this around this time that, um, and uh, fairly, I think that her plots to, to this point in Voyage's run had all involved her with herself or talking to an inanimate non-human thing. Yeah, that's true. She had that one where uh, the. The um the Vidian took like her Klingon half out and separated mm-hmm. her, and then she has a prototype, mm-hmm. and then the, she has this one. So mm-hmm. this is point extra G. Dreadnought. The name comes from the battleship HMS Dreadnought, meaning that it did not dread, or rather, had no fear. <laughs> wow, really? It's, I didn't realize Makes it was sense. that literal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bolana's AI. Listen, people. I was going to make a. Dreadnought, what your country can do for you joke at the start of this. And uh, I'm glad that I didn't have to because the Dreadnought's name is just as literal. There's Dread not to fear, but Dread... Never mind. Bolana's AI clearly did not have any fears, and it is a fitting name. It's a little weird that this episode was made during season two since we've already had one episode prototype that dealt with Bolana trying to stop an AI from killing innocent people. Comparing the two, I think that Dreadnought is the better episode as it delves into Bolana's past in the Maquis, which is much more interesting. And what is it with all these damn AIs not believing their creators and turning against them? Grappler John Zorn says, did you know that a Dreadnought was originally a coat, something like a parka? Isn't it interesting that the word could change its meaning over time from heavy weather-resistant coat to heavily armed battleship to heavily irritating 46 minutes of television in just a few hundred years? <laughs> the best thing to come out of this episode is a bulletproof trivia question. What's the name of Naomi Wildman's father that will make you undateable if you utter it aloud? Two grextingers out of five. I don't know what that word is. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would like to say <clears throat> I was incorrect. It is not Dreadnoughts in G.I. Joe. It's Dreadnock with a K. Okay. <laughs> they anglicized it a little bit for yes. us. Good. Dreadnock. Is that that's a group or is that a, a man? Uh, it is a group. Okay. It is uh, a fictional biker gang from the G.I. Oh. Joe Real American Hero toy line, comic book, and cartoon series. Affiliated with Cobra, 
offering their mercenary services as subordinates of Zartan. Yep. That makes sense. <laughs> Matthew Ross says, Dreadnought, every time I see this, I always muse that if the Cardassians had a fleet of these, the Federation would have been destroyed. That aside, the movie Dark Star with bombs that talk comes to mind, but that dark comedy with an alien beach ball is nowhere here. Aside from that, I did enjoy the tension of the way overpowered missile ship tried to be taken out. Why the missile has to announce its every move, though, is a bit weird. Also, the evil Tom setup begins, and how come Janeway can set the self-destruct sequence all by herself? Three out of five. Well, I'm glad to see that Tom Paris's story is actually going to amount to something. Yeah, I assumed it would. Yeah. <clears throat> I speaking of the Janeway thing, why did why do they why does she need to pilot it? Why can't she just set a course? Yeah, tell the computer to track this thing until we blow up and get get as close as you can to it. I mean, although I guess based on this episode, it will go, yes, I can do that for you. Not. (laughs) Just leave the ship, and I will definitely do what you told me to do. Dreadnought. Um, I I was hoping for an awkward interaction of when Tuvok agrees to stay behind. They they sort of have an awkwardness about who gets to sit in the captain's chair at that point, because (laughs) maybe Tuvok should drive the ship if Janeway's going to be there with him. But (laughs) Janeway should be like, yes, you should stay behind. In fact, actually, I left something (laughs) in my quarters (laughs) in the escape pod. A little bit of trivia. How many times over the course of the series is Voyager going to activate its self-destruct? This is the first time they've done it. Uh, five, three. Ooh, seems low. That seems low to me. I would have, I would have gone way over that. But what do I know? Uh, Changeling says, "Dreadnought, dreadnought." I think not. Actually, this episode was all right. Three unstoppables out of five buses that couldn't slow down. And then this one's short too. I'll read this one. Latte Librarian says, "Dreadnought, a nice Balana episode where we get to know her more and a reminder that the Maquis were terrorists." Four out of five. Aaron Million has the next comment right here. It's Dreadnought. This is a very good Torres episode, showing how she is still trying to come to grips with past actions while giving off a few echoes of TOS's The Doomsday Machine. Mm, it is Doomsday Machine-y a little bit, yeah. She should have just she should have gone the number six route and just asked it why, and then it would have self-destructed yep. itself. Yep, yep. <clears throat> Outlogic that thing. Make it, I thought that's what she was trying to do in a lot of the sequences. She's like, well, if I'm... Here, how can you be there? And the computer's like, and it blows up. Right, right. I liked all the crew members trying to stay on the bridge when Janeway ordered them to escape pods. It showed their commitment to duty, the ship, and her personally. I thought the ending seemed a bit rushed. Were they able to salvage engine parts and quantum torpedoes like they discussed earlier in the episode? I'm going to say no, because that thing blew up pretty good. Yep. Uh, We don't find out because we had to use up a few minutes at the beginning with the out-of-place opening in sickbay concerning the doctor still searching for a name. Four doom, doomsday machines out of five. I liked at the end when Bolano was like using her phaser to cut into that little control panel in the last moment. Janeway's got mm-hmm. the auto destruct, and the auto destruct is like, Voyager will destroy itself in 30 seconds. And Janeway goes, like, Bolana, beam back here, get on an escape pod, and get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of running around to do I know, in the last she's 30 like, seconds it, of your life. You re- it, you really need to get back here now. I, she should have been like, I feel like the, I literally should be anywhere else. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, Did you like the way that she ultimately gains control by uh, activating the other voice and having them argue with each other like 
Ronald Reagan and yeah. uh, the Ayatollah <laughs> in the cafe eighties and Back to the Future too. <laughs> it was it was the um it was I thought it was more along the line of that famous uh, like Noam Chomsky and Bill Buckley uh, <laughs> oh, debate. <yeah. laughs> this is having them go at it. I thought. I mean that that to me is a more interesting solution than what she does ultimately. I was surprised that that was a penultimate twist. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah, me too. I thought that was going to be it. I thought that was going to be the thing that uh kind of put her over the top. Right, cuz that feels kind of satisfying. Like the Cardassian original programming starts to fight back against her or something. I, yeah. I don't know, but then I don't even know what she was doing. She was just shooting that phaser for twenty minutes at the the wall. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't tell if she was trying to cut through the 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 plate that was there, or if she was shooting through the little holes. Right. <laughs> I don't think it's ultimately understood what Balan was yeah, aiming does, at. That doesn't matter. Riolavi says, "Dreadnought, Technobabble, and because plot abounds in this episode, yes, because because plot does abound in this. I'm not sure there's much more they could have done with this, as the concept itself is pretty weak. I do like Dawson's performance as always, so this isn't complete trash for me. My favorite moment was Tuvok asking to stay with Janeway on the self-destructing Voyager. Two spoonhead missiles out of five. Another short one. Jaron Hatch says, Dreadnought, I'll save you guys a podcast episode with one line. This is the better of the, quote, Torres obsessively fixes technology, end quote, episodes of season two. Great. Moving on. Three Bellana Torreses out of five. And then here's the final. Is this the final one? It is the final one. So I'll send it to you. This is Patrick Seba with a little poem. <clears throat> Well, we all might have that crazy one ex who let you inside her, then lightning fields flexed. But Torres one-upped, her ex doesn't suck, because when she does blow, the planet suplexed. <laughs> wow. That one's, that one's a little bit more avant-garde than I'm, uh, than yeah. I'm used to for my poems. Yeah, a, <laughs> four elementary school teachers attempting to pronounce Banarian Grenzgegnecht Wildman out of five. That's the name. Okay, that's the name that uh, Groppler John Zorn said, that Grexlingglock or whatever. Ah, uh, yes. That's yes. the baby's name. Gotcha. Makes sense. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, patrons, for leaving your thoughts about the episode called Dreadnoughts. Thank you for supporting the show. All right, Clay, on our scale of one to five, what are you going to give this one? The patrons were. Uh, well, were they? There was a couple fours kind in of, there. Yeah, kind of in the middle. A little middling, yeah. No, nothing less than a three. I don't think there. Were, there was one or two twos, I believe. Oh. but just a just a couple. Uh, I'm gonna give it a three. I give it a three two. It's pretty middling. I think Andrew Cherlog said that it's a definition of a middling episode. I think that is true. Um, honestly, for the amount of contrivance in it, I'm I, I was impressed by how much it actually held my attention. Because I thought it was kind of yeah. silly the the entire yeah. way through, but it worked for me eventually. Yeah, it's you know the contrivances are there, but it is also kind of fun when a story just keeps escalating and turning on you. It is whether or not it makes total sense. No, you know? I just wish it, like I, that. That's a that's a common weak writing thing. I think I've mentioned it in previous episodes. It's like a, an episode that naturally, like for Star Trek, I think Disaster is a good episode that's like how multiple compounding problems can build on each other in a way that feels natural and it's not just the writer pulling the rug out from under your feet and saying like no actually yeah like your your example of when they 
turn the ship off and she comes back and then the ship just leaves. It's a, it's like a yeah. laughable version of that. It's like, okay. So I guess you, you didn't do anything and the writers realized that they had to get the ship to get going again. So they're just going to have the ship say, na, 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 boo, boo, I fooled you and then takes off. It's just right. silly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Three for me, three for Clay. That's it for Dreadnought. Thanks everybody for listening. Patreon.com slash the Uh Anything else? No, Lower Decks is continuing on the Patreon, I think, at this point. We're probably well into October. Happy Halloween. Halloween is coming up. There's probably going to be some Halloween-themed uh, stuff on the channel. Oh, yeah. we got to figure out what to do for Halloween. Yeah, we're running out of options, sort of. So we'll... Uh, not time, but options about what we can do, at least for the Star Trek stuff and the, the horror movies or whatever. Yeah. We'll figure that out. It'll be on Patreon. I guess that's it. Clay, anything you want to say? Join us this month on the Rotten Heart Picture Show Patreon as we talk about Pet Cemetery. As uh, we get into the second string of Stephen King. Yep. Only three more. Only a couple left, yeah. It's going to be... Uh, Pet Cemetery in October, Children of the Corn in November, and then we're going to be rounding it out with Stephen King's It from 1990. One of the listeners Lost has been classics. demanding thinner uh, after every post <laughs> that you guys put up, but I think I told you about that, but you, we, we just yeah. really can't do thinner, but I'm just, I'm saying it on the podcast now just so we Well, hear. there's, that's, I mean, that's a good one to have done, but it's just like there's so many Stephen King movies have that it's, it's just tough to whittle them down. Have you seen the SNL sketch that sort of parodies thinner with john ham where's the sexy sax man yes yeah <laughs> is that a thinner yeah because he's a the um the sort of lead who the uh the guy who's in brooklyn 99 andy samberg oh, is yeah, like the yeah, lead yeah. and when he gets out of his limo at the start he steps on like a homeless guy's totem and the guy curses him <laughs> <laughs> nice and then uh, it's a good sketch. It's, it makes me laugh anyway. John Hamm plays the sexy saxophone playing ghost. Uh, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Was the, the next episode is, I'll look at my little list here. It's Life Signs. No, it's Death Wish. I'm sorry, it's Death Wish. I think it's a Q episode. He's go got forward. a Death Wish. Is Charles Bronson in it? I hope so. Why did investigations come up first? Is Death Wish produced very last or something? I might be wrong. I, I can't go back now, though. It's too late. But it might be a Q episode. It might be something else. We'll see when we get there next week. Oh, interesting. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. We'll see you later. <laughs>